episode 71 of the Pilot the Pilot podcast takes off now. So hi, my name is Tyson Weiss. I'm the co-founder and CEO of ForeFlight. We make apps for pilots. Today's episode is brought to you by AOPA's Pilot Protection Services. As disciplined and meticulous pilots, we are always striving to achieve that perfect flight from engine startup to shutdown. However, even the most experienced pilot can get distracted by a passenger or have a momentary bout of information overload. AOPA's Pilot Protection Services knows that your pilot and medical certificates mean everything to you. And that's why their trusted legal services plan attorneys and medical certification specialists are there to help protect you when things don't go as planned. It's available only to AOPA members and over 64,000 members already participate. So go check them out before your next flight at aopa.org backslash PPS. What is going on, AV Nation, and welcome back to the Pilot the Pilot Podcast. My name is Justin Seams, and I am your host. In today's episode, I'm talking with Tyson Weiss. Tyson is the co-founder and CEO of ForeFlight, and we talk pretty much anything and everything ForeFlight. We get into the down and dirty. We talk about the beginning. We talk about how it was started, why it was started, the process of starting ForeFlight. We also talk about where they are today, the current status of ForeFlight, and then we go into the future. I asked Tyson what his ultimate goal of ForeFlight will be and how they can serve the aviation community best. Aviation, I hope you enjoyed today's episode. We're also teaming up with ForeFlight to give away three gift cards. Those three gift cards can be applied to any subscription, current or an existing subscription. All you have to do is follow ForeFlight on Instagram, follow Pilot the Pilot on Instagram, and let me know what you think of this episode. Let me know your favorite part. I'm going to be putting a post on Tuesday when I release this episode. Check out my Instagram and let me know your favorite part of the episode and we will choose three winners. Aviation, if you haven't already please leave us a review on itunes you can check us out on patreon patreon.com slash pilot the pilot you can also follow us on all social media platforms with the name at pilot the pilot aviation i'm excited for this episode excited to see what you think so without any further ado here's tyson weiss tyson what is going on thank you for joining the pilot the pilot podcast Hey, thanks for having me. Uh, glad to be here. Lots going on. Yeah, lots going on. All right. That's exciting. That's great. It's good news. Um, first thing I want to say is thank you for coming on. I know you're a busy man. and I know that you got a lot to do. So I appreciate you spending an hour or 45 minutes with me to talk about aviation. Yeah, you bet. It's a passion. So happy to. Exactly. Right. So uh, let's go and get started. Let's dive right in. Um, I feel like a lot of people might know about four flights. So let's start off with you. Let's start off with why you started in aviation. Kind of how old were you? What was the initial inspiration for you getting into an aviation career? Yeah. So um, I sort of stumbled on it. Um, I went to work for a company in 2000. So this is after um, the dot com. crash for uh, those of you who are around at that period of time. But in, uh, in 1998, 1999, there was this huge you know run up in the stock market and then a huge crash and the startup scene uh, kind of collapsed uh, in tech anyway. And um, I had sold a company uh, just before the height of the um, dot-com craze in the late 90s. Uh, and then after that came crashing down, uh, I went to work for a company uh, in South Carolina, a company that made uh, benefits management software. And um, that's where my interest in aviation was, uh, peaked. Um, I think, you know, as a, as a kid growing up and gosh, almost anywhere in the world, you know, you look to the sky and airplanes are fascinating. And so I think all of us 
have uh, some level of fascination with um, airplanes and aviation. And yeah, I had that definitely since uh, since I was a young boy, um, starting with flight simulators in the 80s and 90s when yeah. they were much simpler than they are today. Um, my grandfather was a bombardier on a B-24 uh, in oh, World cool. War II Pacific. Um, my dad had had some flight lessons at some point and decided not to, not to pursue it. But you just sort of, these, there's these touch points in your life where aviation seeds just sort of get planted. And, mm-hmm. um, when I worked for this company, uh, and actually in Charleston, South Carolina, it was, um, uh, it was, uh, populated by a lot of pilots. So it wasn't an aviation company, but there are a lot of pilots there. And, uh, that's what got me, uh, interested in learning to fly. And it was really my boss at the time, Ufalo Mooney, uh, took me up gosh, on a Saturday morning for a poker run, uh, the, after the first week that I got to, uh, the new company and, uh, it was really just, um, I, I was, uh, bitten by the, by the bug as you, as they yeah. say, uh, at that point. And he let me take the controls and fly it around for a little bit. And, um, that was the beginning. So do you think if you didn't work at this company, you would ever kind of get involved as a pilot or even get your pilot license? Gosh, a uh, great question. Um, Maybe not. Um, you know, it, 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 it's, it's conceivable that I could have worked somewhere, um, where that would have been in the, um, uh, in the, in the culture or, uh, in, you know, in the, in the water, if you will. Mm-hmm. Um, but it was being in an environment where people were actively using airplanes and flying all the time that, uh, it was hard to ignore. Yeah, for sure. Uh, I know that before I'd worked there, uh, I went to college in San Antonio, Texas and, I do remember going out to a flight school at San Antonio International and really just trying to walk through unnoticed, right? It was like, you know, just going to flight school, uh, you know, not make eye contact with anybody, <laughs> you know, look at all the supplies in the, uh, in the, in the cabinet or on the shelves there and just sort of see what was going on. And then, you know, walked out and you know, decided you know, I wasn't going to do that at that point in time. But, um, I had sort of, uh, peeked behind the curtain a little bit a couple of times, but yeah. it was really working there that um, made it a thing. So what was next? What was uh, kind of your first introduction was obviously that flight. You got the controls, you kind of got the bug, like you said, what was, uh, what was the next step to, to start flying and to start doing that process? Yeah. So it went from, okay. I, uh, you know, went up for uh, in effect, a, a discovery flight with them. Uh, then we started going on trips. So we would take, um, you know, the Mooney or uh, one of the partners out of Cirrus, an early Cirrus at that point. And this is 2002, I think, really. So I went to work there in 2000, uh, mid 2000. And I didn't start flight lessons until 2002, right? So I just, I was a participant for a year and a half or so and then decided, you know, I'm going to go start, um, flying lessons and, um, started with a discovery flight and a 172. Yeah. Um, and, uh, if you remember Cessna re, uh, restarted production of the 172s, I think in the late nineties. And so, uh, I went out to a flight school. They had just bought a new 172 SP. Uh, it had the latest King stack in it. Uh, you know, it's still six pack and yeah. all the, you know, King radios and stuff like that. And, that's um, funny. a brand new airplane, new airplane smell and whatnot. And that's where I started. Um, and for me, uh, it was sort of start and stop. I, I trained for a little while, uh, and then stopped to focus on work. Uh, and then, uh, so that was sort of late 2000, December, 2002 really is when I started flight training. Uh, and I didn't end up getting my certificate until 2006. So there was a lot of start and stop 
along the way. I ultimately uh, switched flight schools because for you know, a lot of folks who take a while to get their private, you experience uh, instructor turnover. Right? Yeah, so, for sure. Uh, you know, I, I experienced quite a bit of that. Uh, it's always a, um, a step back when you switch to a new instructor because they got to you know, assess you and understand where your capabilities are. And, um, I ended up soloing in a 152. Uh, I remember that day vividly cause I feel like I didn't remember much of the, you know, much of the flying, but I remembered the stopping and, you know, I landed the 152 and I think I had like a 25 foot ground roll and I thought that was awesome. <laughs> <laughs> Get it, was, it. It, was, it was certainly longer than that, but it yeah. felt like, you know, I had good control of the airplane. Stopped and, immediately. Uh, <laughs> yeah. That's right. Um, and so, so uh, sold in a 152, uh, then in 2004, I went to business school, uh, and while I was in business school, I didn't have, I didn't really have the money for flight training. So yeah. I, I did a lesson, uh, here and there. And then, uh, after I graduated, which is in 2006, uh, that's when I had uh, stable income again and, uh, started flight training. And I went from sort of graduating in May of 2006 and I had my license by December. That's awesome. So I kind of find it interesting when you said that you switched flight schools and how it kind of took you a little bit of time because I had to do the same thing. Mine was I played sports in college and it took me a while to kind of find the right timing between dedicating to sports, dedicating to flying. But what do you think about a student coming up that has kind of a, uh, I don't know if the reason why you switched flight school is because of something you didn't like about the flight school too or what, but like someone that has an issue with a flight instructor, how important do you think it is for someone to find the right flight instructor rather than the flight flight school? If you know what I mean, I give that kind of makes sense. Um, good question. I don't know if, um, I, I think, I think it's important to have a, a place that has some stability. Right. Yeah. And so, I, uh, it's important to find uh, an operation that's stable so that you've got access to aircraft. It's important to find an instructor that's, um, going to be uh, stable through at least, you know, as much of your career uh, or your initial training as, as possible. And it's really important to find an instructor that you, yeah. you, you, you click with and that, um, you know, is motivating and constructive in their, uh, in their teaching. Um, because they're a big factor on whether you, um, whether you continue or not. Yeah. Uh, so, uh, you know, I, I, I don't remember all the reasons that I flitched, switched, uh, flight schools. Uh, one of them might've been, you know, did it click or not? Then the other was I moved cities. I went from South Carolina to Texas uh, and, and had to find, uh, had to find a new flight school. <laughs> That'd be hard to keep the original flight school <laughs> with the yeah, move. Yeah. But definitely yeah. Instability is an issue, right? If you've got yeah. instability instructor or instability in the flight school, that's going to have some impact yeah, uh, I would agree. On, on flight training. So it just took me a while. I mean, I started, like, like I said, I started in 2002. It took me really four years, uh, to get to my private, which is, uh, you know, a long duration. We've had people at four flight that, really focus on it. And I think the shortest we've seen, you know, start to finish on a PPL is maybe three or four months. So, oh, wow. Um, Good for them. If, 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 yeah, if you've got the means and you've got the time to focus on it and you've got the flexibility at work to get those flights in, um, you can, uh, you can move through it a, a bit quicker than certainly quicker than I did. <laughs> did you have any struggles at all other than kind of switching flight schools and that in your training? Did you find like a particular subject that was more difficult than others? The written for me, and, and, and this is, it's always been the case with the writtens, which is I have to spend probably in a, what I think is maybe an exceptional amount of time, um, uh, focusing in on you know, the, the, the book work, mm -hmm. 
uh, you know, the question and answer banks and things like that. And, um, that's one of the things that took me a while on my instrument training was, uh, getting the time to focus on, uh, the book work to, um, you know, get a good grade on those. On yeah. those tests. And for me, that's just always been, uh, the area that I've struggled with the most. I think the airmanship, um, I don't, I haven't struggled with that a, a, as much. Um, I think, you know, many, uh, many hours in my, uh, youth playing, you know, Nintendo and you know, video <laughs> games probably helped with the hand eye coordination. Absolutely. I wasn't directionally challenged. Um, you know, I could grasp, um, the fundamentals of aviating. Well, it was always, um, uh, the theory in the, in the book work for me that I, note as being remarkable and that it just took a lot of my attention and, and time to get all that um yeah. committed memory for sure and if it wasn't for shepherd air for me shepherd air i i lived on shepherd air for my instrument training and for my instrument written that thing saved my life because like you said it's a lot of book work it's like a brand new language you're learning you just learn how to fly and then they're like all right well this is what you need to do now and it's completely different yeah yeah, that was the same for me. I, you know, I went to the Shepherd Air uh, courses when I was doing uh, my instrument. You know, I used the sporty stuff mm-hmm. uh, when I'm playing. You know, these days, um, and I got my instrument in 2012, and I remember a substantial number of questions that were unrelated to the airplane that I flew. I got my uh, instrument ticket. I was fortunate enough to have bought a DA40, and I finished my instrument in the DA40, and. I mean, it seemed like 25% of the questions were irrelevant to the airplane blue or the type of flying that I was going to do. So, you know, trying to memorize answers to questions about equipment that had, was no longer being manufactured, um, I thought was a, a bit of a waste of time. Yeah, I completely agree. But here we are, and they're still the same pretty much. Right. <laughs> <laughs> That's cool. Yeah. No, it's, um, what, was, what was it like flying the Diamond? Did you like the Diamond? I, I love the diamond. I still have it. Uh, I bought it in 2012. Um, we use it uh, in flight tests uh, at Four Flight today when we're uh, testing products or you know connectivity to our, our Garmin Avionics and that yeah. sort of stuff. Uh, I think it is one of the best first airplanes for somebody to um, own uh, in, in aviation, whether it's you know outright or as a partner. But airplanes very safe, um, very low stall speeds. It's uh, pretty stable, uh, on the runway. So not a lot of directional control challenges. Uh, the stall is very benign. And so, uh, I'm a big fan of it and advocate, mm-hmm. you know, if people are looking for a first airplane, uh, that's a, you know, that's a good one to get. I'm, when it comes to flying, I tend to be super conservative. And so, you know, when looking at different models, such as, you know, the diamond will be a great first step for me. It's got an incredible safety record. Um, and, uh, it was a fit. Yeah, for sure. The only experience I have with a diamond was I was at Ohio State. I was doing my training. I was getting ready to come back to the tower. And all of a sudden, tower told me to watch out. There's a plane going. And there was a diamond that almost turned directly into me at like 2,000 feet up in the air. So I don't have any good experience with diamonds right now. But that's the only one that I have right now. (laughs) (laughs) So yeah, but uh, I'm sure they're good planes. Yeah, one thing I will say is that if you happen to live in South Texas, uh, make sure you've got one with air conditioning. Oh uh, my gosh, you are not kidding when I was building my time, I flew aerial survey and we had a government contract to take a picture of like every single square foot of Texas. It was at 4,000 feet and it was in the summertime and they were in 310 Seneca's Aztecs aero commanders with no air conditioning. So we were just getting rocked and hot. It was crazy. San Antonio and Houston where I was where, where I was at most of my time. Oh, wow. Well, that's yeah. an interesting, um, that's an interesting job of having to do that. I'm, uh, I have, I have a side interest in, uh, 
LIDAR and, uh, yeah, we did LIDAR. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's neat. Yeah. LIDAR was, uh, it was definitely cool. We had some huge digital cameras. Like we didn't just have a, a, a point and shoot digital camera. We had one with, I think there's four different lenses and it, it was, mm-hmm. uh, there's a huge hole cut out in the plane. So it was really cool. Yeah. That's neat. Yeah. It's well, a cool way to build your time for sure. But yeah, um, back to you. So we're in your, uh, what, what ratings do you have now? What are you up to right now? I, uh, have obviously my, my private, mm-hmm. uh, my instrument, uh, my multi, uh, and I have a citation 510 type rating. Oh, cool. I fly a, a citation latitude right now for a fractional company. So I, uh, that's awesome. Okay. Yeah. It's, um, that's been, uh, I, you know, I just, I just, uh, obtained that rating this year. Uh, it was the first time in, you know, I guess a number of years I've gone back for a rating and, yeah. um, it was really refreshing, uh, getting back into sort of a learning environment and, um, moving on to that next rating. So on my to-do list is uh, commercial and uh, I'd like to get a helicopter rating. Oh, uh, cool. Helicopter would be sweet. That'd be awesome. So that was, uh, was that citation your first like jet type rating then? That was my first jet type rating. Did you have to go through flight safety? I actually went through Simcom. Okay. Um, yeah, you know, great relationships with both companies, but um, Simcom and Scottsdale worked out well for me, uh, time-wise, and um, I did it out uh, there. Uh, and I actually broke it up into two sessions because uh, you know just getting uh, getting that much time commit, committed or, or away from the office is is a challenge. So I did <laughs> a week of the ground school, uh, and then uh, had a spacer, and then uh, finished the. Um, uh, simulator sessions in a, in a separate session. Oh, nice. Uh, and then after that, you've got to have uh, supervised operating experience. And so, um, that comes as a, as the nature of, you know, flying aircraft for work yeah. uh, and, um, completed that earlier this year. That's cool. What would you, so when I got my type rating last year, I got my type rating in the latitude and I had a bunch of questions about people ask me what the difference was from say like a commercial training or just your standard private pilot training. What did you, did you feel like you're prepared for that kind of a uh, learning experience and that kind of, uh, the kind of, I mean, I don't know how flight safety is. It's kind of just like, you got to keep up They're writing down a bunch of stuff and it's kind of thrown at you. Hold on to the garden hose type deal. How did you feel going into that training? Did you feel prepared? You know, I, um, I, 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 I think I prepared, uh, probably the, the best I can, I could, or, you know, along with, you know, advice of others, which is really, you know, just get familiar with the materials that you're sent ahead of time. Cause you get sent a, a stack of stuff. I mean, you get, you get flashcards, uh, you get study guides, uh, you get condensed versions of, uh, the AFM that distill, you know, some of the important things in there. Um, it's, it's, for me, it was really just more about getting oriented with the inventory that, that you're handed. Uh, and then, um, you know, go into that, uh, ready to drink from the fire hose. Cause it's, <laughs> it is, a, especially your first typewriting yeah. it is a absolute fire hose. I mean, it's every day sort of nine to five, um, with book work, it's, um, uh, you know, refreshing, uh, and, and studying you know, the day's content, uh, in the evening. Uh, it's a lot of work on memory items. Yeah. Uh, and making sure you're, you're sort of dialed in on those. Uh, but it, it's the, probably the biggest fire hose I've had to drink from, uh, in flight training in a long time. Yeah, it's definitely, uh, that's a good enough. <laughs> and it was very different than the rest of my training, which was, uh, I did everything at, um, uh, part 61 schools, uh, mm-hmm. and it was less structured. So it was, it was definitely the most structured flight training, um, I've been introduced to. 
Yeah, def- I would definitely agree. I did my private pilot 141, then everything else 61. And then going through the latitude training, it was definitely very structured. And like you said, if you prepare for it, it's just like anything else in life. You prepare for it, you get, you keep building up to that point. You'll be ready for that type rating. So yeah, that's pretty cool though. That's awesome. Yeah. I thought, um, I, you, I liked, uh, the type rating. I, I liked going through the type rating process. Um, and, uh, one of the most sort of remarkable, uh, aspects of that for me was all of the procedure and emergency, uh, training. Um, you know, things, I know some people will go and do, uh, type ratings in the airplane, uh, and then go back to school for those recurrence. And for me, it really worked well to be there and focused on that start to finish for at least the first one. Uh, but all of the emergency procedures were really eye opening, uh, and very glad that, uh, I had the opportunity to run through all those in the simulator. Um, <laughs> Because I tell you what, when you when they put the battery on Emer for the first time, and you know two out of your three displays uh, go out, and you've got no flaps and you've got no gear, uh, and you know you're blowing the gear and using the emergency brake handle and flying a, an approach by hand while running, <laughs> you realize that this is no joke. Yeah, no, you, it is no joke, and it, that's why they train that, and that's why the their memory items, so you don't have to think about it. It's uh, it, yeah, it's wild. And have you had any issues at all pop up when you're flying like that? Have you had any kind of emergencies or situations um, like that? Nothing. Uh, yeah, nothing. Uh, I would say exceptionally remarkable. I think in you know in in the Mustang, for example, we've had uh, a single generator failure, and mm-hmm. some of these were just a result of um, I guess uh, hangovers of squawks from maintenance events, but. Uh, we've had the autopilot uh, kickoff in, in RVSM. Uh, we've lost, you know, GPS over New Mexico, <laughs> which impacts things. We've had uh, pitch trim cash messages. Uh, uh, we've, um, gosh, uh, what else? Um, uh, AHARS one um, loss of AHARS one reversion to AHARS two. Yeah, those sorts of things. So nothing, uh, nothing dramatic. That's uh, good, but things that they require you to run the checklist and take note. <laughs> yeah, no, definitely true. And whenever you hear that ding, you know, your heart kind of beats a little faster and you're just, you're a little more heightened. You're like, what's going on? <laughs> what's this this time? Yeah. And the, you know, the, the type rating training really makes those sorts of things a little less, the startle factor comes down quite a bit when you are um, conditioned to, you know, count to three, uh, process what's happening and then run to the checklist and uh, run it. I mean, if it's yellow cast message, great. If it's red, you got <laughs> you got a little more work to do. Yeah. <laughs> Open that book. That's where another pilot helps out a lot. Yeah, for, for sure. <laughs> do you typically fly a single pilot or are you at the point where uh, I know when I got my latitude, it was my first type rating and they I think I said I had that 500 hours before I could fly at PIC. So I don't know what the timeline, the timeline was they said for you. So we only fly the Mustang, uh, dual crew. Okay. Um, I, that's one of the things after, you know, we've put, um, 600 hours on the airplane. Uh, oh, wow. Since we, uh, so we, fl- we fly it a lot, uh, to see customers and, uh, attend all the events that we go to. Um, but in all of that flying, I have really become an advocate of, uh, flying with a, uh, a buddy. Um, uh, you know, whether it's a safety pilot and you're flying, you know, single pilot, you know, IFR, um, or, uh, definitely when you're flying in a turbojet aircraft, the, um, 
my, my view is the safety margins go up uh, significantly when you have a crew member with you. Yeah. Well, I know. Uh, and so that's, uh, I think, sort of how um, I'll fly uh, larger aircraft the rest of my career. Uh, and then even if I'm flying uh, IFR and pistons, I'd rather have a, a buddy with me. And that's just uh, what makes me the most comfortable. Yeah, I would completely agree. I used to fly single pilot IFR and a PC-12 when I was building my time. And now that I got a dual crew, it's like, I don't want to ever go back. You know, it's like just having all that, you're tired. Single pilot can be a lot. Yeah. And you, um, at least, you know, what's remarkable for me is how often, um, you know, crew members, uh, help, uh, help spot a miss, right? Like Mm -hmm. a frequency, you know, a a call or a frequency change or something like that. But, you know, it happens a lot. Yeah. They're part of that Swiss cheese model, right? They're one of those, uh, those holes or one of the blockers that keeps it from keep going in that hole before something gets really bad. Yeah. That's, uh, what's, um, what's kind of the goal for you in your piloting career? Do you want to, are you the type of guy that wants to get as many ratings as possible, fly as many planes as possible? Or do you have like a couple that you have picked out in your mind to be like, man, I would love to fly that. Or I'd really love to fly that. Yeah. It's evolving. Right. I mean, um, you know, I want at this point something, uh, you know, that, where I can do sort of doors off local flying and, mm-hmm. and explore the country. Um, as I mentioned, I'm interested in helicopter flying. Mm-hmm. I think those, at least on the horizon, things that I'm interested in, uh, seaplanes as well. But, you know, I want to s- spend a lot of time uh, working on or learning to fly aircraft that I think I'll end up flying a lot and, and enjoy. And for me right now, that is, you know, something, something with a tail, uh, with a tailwheel on it. Um, I, I've enjoyed, uh, flying turbine aircraft for business use. And I'd really like to fly, uh, helicopters because that's just a whole different perspective and a whole different type of flying. And it's been, uh, a really awesome experience. And so I'm gravitating to those things that, um, just really create a lot of excitement for me, yeah. uh, when I'm, when I'm flying. And the other is flying, um, is also a means for, uh, me to stay really connected to our customers' experiences. And so as we have moved uh, into different aircraft and, and my partner, uh, a co-founder in the company flies a TBM, we've evolved the product to support our, our flying needs. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and you can really, we can really look back at sort of the anthropology of the application development here at ForeFlight and see a real connection to our evolution uh, in aviation, right? So, in the early days, we were VFR pilots, and so there was a lot of emphasis on, and still is, on making sure the essentials work for VFR. And then um, as we moved up into turbine aircraft, uh, building more advanced flight planning capabilities, uh, and then evolving um, the product to fit each of those personas, but also really support the type of flying we're doing. And helicopter is an area where I'd like us to do a bit more work on, and the best way to understand the domain is to just get right in it and yeah. um, experience I like how you said that because I feel like the there's a problem in aviation with how things are designed. They're not desi- they're designed for pilots, but they're not designed by pilots. So I think for the fact that you guys were the pilots and you were creating this software, I think that had a huge kind of a, that helped you guys out a lot because you knew what pilots actually needed. You knew what pilots wanted. You didn't just give this software to them where it just didn't make sense for a pilot in the moment to use, but you guys actually knew what the issues were and you knew what it was and how to go ahead and kind of create that. Yeah, really, really close to the main. I think in you know in software design and development in general, uh, the closer the engineers can get to um, the the uh, to the the customer or the uh, customer experience, the more on target their software is. Yeah, uh, for sure. Yeah, 
Mm-hmm. And, and, and we were building it to solve, uh, to serve our, our own uh, needs, you know, somewhat selfishly. Uh, yeah. And uh, it turns out to be a great, great model. <laughs> I was going to ask you earlier, do you wish that you had the four, what four flight is now when you're doing your training? Like now you're like, dang, man, these guys have it so easy with what this is. <laughs> like, I really wish I had that. Or did you enjoy looking at the AFM trying to find the airport that no, you needed? I, you know, honestly, I think uh, aviation is more accessible now with these tools, right? I mean, mm-hmm. I think about my first 150 cross country and, you know, I went from uh, Mount Pleasant Regional Airport, just outside of Charleston, to um, an airport in in Goose Creek, mm-hmm. uh, which is up uh, uh, inland. And you know, it wasn't a long cross country, but it was a hazy day. And the last METAR I got was at the FBO, right? And from flight serv, you know, calling flight service, and you get up in the air, and there was no ADSB weather. All you had was um, you know AWOS uh, uh, over the you know, or ADIS over the, the radio yeah. and it was super stressful. Um, so I don't, I don't wish those ages on anybody. Right. <laughs> you know, I think even if I'm flying, you know, I can imagine flying, you know, tail drag or doors off. I still want to have ADSB on the airplane cause I want to know where the traffic is. Absolutely. Um, but we're in a, you know, for those that are thinking about, you know, get jumping into aviation. I mean, the technology now, um, makes it, you know, 10 to a hundred times safer and easier than it was, you know, when I started in you know, 2002, but I don't, I don't, I don't long to go back to those days. Technology is awesome and, um, it's saved a lot of people. And so, um, mm. it saves a lot uh, of people from getting lost too and being embarrassed. <laughs> well, I mean, you know, lost, I mean, it's, um, saved people who lost, you know, electrical, yeah. uh, equipment and navigation, um, uh, or, you know, attitude information. Um, uh, but it's, made things a lot easier. So it's a great time to you know, benefit from flying by having all this tech at your, uh, at, at your back. Absolutely. And let's kind of uh, get into more into four flight and kind of the, the a brief history of four flight. Obviously anyone listening to this podcast knows exactly what four flight is, but I don't know if they know how deep it goes and kind of, so we talked about how you're at the, the company and it kind of was an aviation influence, but what was in your mind or you and your partner's mind? Cause you created it with someone else, correct? Yeah, Jason Miller is my uh, is my co-founder, and we started the company. Uh, we just celebrated our twelfth birthday. Oh, uh, congratulations! Which, yeah, June twenty first, uh, two thousand seven. We started the company. That's crazy. What was uh, so? What was it that made you want to create this? Like, yeah, I know you said it was kind of selfish reasons, but when I guess the better question is, when you were creating this, did you ever expect it to be what it is today? No, uh, you know we, um, we J- Jason and I were both working on our own software projects. He had an application he built for the desktop um, back in 2006. I had a, a couple of different websites I built for looking up aviation information. It was really just simple, like look up METARs and look up some basic report information. Yeah. Yeah. This is pre-iPhone, right? I mean, uh, you know, 2007, uh, um, the iPhone came out in um, you know, June of 2007. And uh, it's sort of no coincidence that we started the company around then, but we, we'd been collaborating on some projects before that. Um, but we were just interested in writing software for aviation, and that brought us together. And it brought us together before um, the iPhone or the iPad was invented, right? And so, yeah. um, you know, we've been writing software for the desktop and the web. And then when the iPhone came out, uh, we were just completely awestruck by it. We went and bought one on the, uh, uh, I think it came out on a Friday, uh, and I went to the uh, Apple store and the gallery and mall in Houston and bought one 
you unwrapped it and slid to unlock, which was the way that you, <laughs> the way that you opened that was started of started your, uh, or sorry, you unlocked your phone back then. And we were just, I was just blown away by it. Yeah. And so that's really what inspired us and set the foundation for four flight was this disruptive event, which is the creation of a whole new computing uh, platform in your hand. What was the, uh, so without the iPhone, without the iPad, obviously four flight would be very different than what it was today. So what was kind of the main goal for four flight before the iPad? Was it just a, a desktop website? So you can kind of pre-flight and get all the information you need before you go. Yeah, we thought we could build a better version of a, of a website people used to use called AirNav. Uh, okay. And it was, you know, something you used to look up FBO information. And there was a really great feature on it that was buried. And it was um, a little distance calculator, right? And so when you're getting your um, uh, PPL, you know, you're trying to find places to fly and you're looking for those places that are, you know, 50 nautical miles or greater, right? And so mm-hmm. I would plug identifiers into that little tool and it would compute the distance in a rough time and it started with basically taking that feature and bringing it up to the top of the webpage so i could use it every time <laughs> yeah so that was um that was one of the that was we were trying really at that point to build a better mousetrap and one that we thought we could design a bit uh, differently and you know it had the iphone or ipad came out come out no i mean this would not be an enterprise this would just be a uh, probably a second or third tier uh, website behind the leaders and um, uh, we wouldn't be where we are today. Yeah, it's amazing for technology and it's kind of crazy to think about how much things can change because in your mind, you're just creating this website, you kind of saw a need for something and you realize that, hey, I like this tool, let's create something that makes that tool more accessible but then here comes this completely game-changing product like an iPhone or an iPad and what was kind of the idea of an app on that iPad? Like, I mean, I've heard, I forget who I was talking to, but I, th- I think I was told that you guys were one of like the, t- the first apps in the actual app store. So like, you were kind of the first ones to kind of realize the potential for this. Yeah, we were one of the first 500 apps in the app store when it launched in 2008. Right? And so, um, you know, we didn't have a grand vision, honestly. We didn't have a business plan. We just were interested in writing uh, some software for ourselves. Uh, and interested in, you know, really, really sort of interested in the experiment of seeing whether or not we could do something with this. And, uh, we started in 2007 with a website that fit on an iPhone. This is the first product that we had. Mm-hmm. And then the second major iteration of that was the native app that ran uh, on the iPhone and was available on the App Store. And we got recognition at that point in time by being the most expensive app in the app store. So <laughs> no in a world where everything was 99 cents or 4.99 or 9.99, <laughs> uh, we were a $75 one time app and people thought we had lost our minds. Right. Uh, and, uh, yeah, we even had conversations with, you know, our Apple reps at the time were like, Hey guys, you know, 75 bucks for an app. Ooh, that's, um, that's a little rich. And, um, <laughs> actually you know, helped us gain some press and we sold uh, a truckload of them. Yeah, no, I mean, well, there's definitely a need for it there. And I think that's very well-priced app. That's funny that you guys were the most expensive app at a time. I mean, that just kind of blows my mind, but it's just amazing how it's all changed because now there's apps on there that are fairly expensive and you guys are nowhere near the most expensive app anymore. <laughs> yeah, you know, I mean, uh, there's lots of productivity and utility apps for their, you know, for, for domains that, um, you know, have small markets and, um, the, you know, the price reflects the value ultimately delivered. And, um, 
it, we were fortunate we moved away from that one-time model to a subscription so that we could mm-hmm. sustain the product development and all the data we were buying and delivering and, and the weather we were buying and delivering. And so um, we switched to a subscription model in 2009. And then the big, the real uh, big event that transformed uh, the company and, and helped us grow from really three people at that time to over, you know, I guess close to 200 now is um, the iPad, right? Yeah. And that came out in 2010, uh, April 4th, 2010, actually. And um, Apple had invited us uh, to um, port our software uh, for the iPad. And, and we did that in February and March of 2010. And we're ready as the first aviation app in the iPad app store in 2010. And the um, the in addition to just being in the app store, the event that really transformed everything was on April 30th of uh, 2010, Apple released an iPad that had a GPS chip in it. Yes. And that's, that's the first time you could see a blue dot on, uh, on your iPad. And, um, that, uh, was a remarkable, um, sort of disruptive and sort of transformational a pivot point for the company. And at that point, that's when our hockey stick kicked in where, um, you know, we went from really a, truly a hobby business to we need to quit our jobs and make this a full-time endeavor. Oh, so you had a, a separate job the whole time. This was kind of just a hobby for you then in a way. Yeah, this, this was a, you know, a hobby business for us. We worked on it, you know, nights and weekends, yeah. um, because it wasn't, it wasn't something until that point that could really sustain full-time employment. Um, and you know, we didn't know where we didn't really, really know where this was heading, but, um, you know, when the iPad came out and we saw the, you know, the quick shift, uh, in the biz, in the business, we said, you know, we've got to focus on this full time. And so we all, uh, it was really three, there were three owners of the business, uh, mm-hmm. Halton, Jason Miller and myself. And we said, you know, it's time to quit our jobs and, and do <laughs> time. all in or nothing, right? That's how it's gotta be. That's funny. Uh, I think one thing that's interesting to think about, which I don't know if many people know, and I know, I don't know, but so obviously everyone thinks about four flight and think about how great it is, but was there any like pushback at all when you first come up? Because when you create such a great product that really kind of changes the landscape of aviation, how training's done, just, I know how the FAA is. They're very old school. Was there any kind of pushback from them? Like, did they not want this to happen or was it all kind of, did everyone receive it pretty well? Um, it, you know, it depends. I mean, I think even customers in 2010, you know, we exhibited at AirVenture for the first time in 2010 after the iPad came out and, um, there was a lot of, you know, doubters about whether or not, you know, an iPad would ever work in the cockpit. Yeah. And you look at it now and you're like, that's just absurd, right? I mean, of course <laughs> it works, but, but this is new technology. Um, there had never until the iPad really been computers in the cockpit in any substantial volume, right? I mean, you had, um, early adopters or, you know, so the technically inclined try to bring laptops into the cockpit and plug them in and, you know, read charts on them, but it just really didn't work as well, um, in comparison. Right. And, and the, the thing that the iPad did was it put a computer in every single cockpit. Yeah. Right. And so you went from, you know, having software on a desktop and a laptop for the, for the hundreds of people that, uh, would try that out to every pilot from every walk of life, you know, pretty much brings an iPad into the cockpit now. Oh, without a doubt. Uh, two of them. <laughs> it, two of them. And then, yeah. you know, you, you, you've each got a mobile phone and so you've got an app on your phone. So, yeah. uh, that was really the, the, the transformative event was, um, bring, being able to bring that in. But back to your question about, you know, um, 
you know, ado- you know adoption or reception from the regulators. It, it happened in different phases. Actually, the FAA was pretty supportive of uh, iPads, and and uh, you know, Jefferson was a company that beat us to this uh, in 2010, which was um, the FAA, Jefferson, and NetJets. Uh, EJM uh, were the first to approve iPads in the cockpit. And that yeah. was uh, very shortly after the iPad launched. So, you know, I, I've seen, you know, aspects of the FAA be very sort of reserved in terms of how they evolve and adapt technology. And then others have been um, really uh, advancing that. And, and, and the FAA right now is actually very supportive of evolving the current state of uh, these integrated flight apps to something well beyond what it is today. And they're actually, they've outlined a vision for what they'd like to see. So, Oh, wow. That's cool. I'd say it's sort of the, the opposite end of the spectrum where instead of being, um, you know, resistant, they're actually trying to uh, shape a vision for what it could be, which is, which is encouraging because then when you go to, you know, demonstrate some new capability and you want it to be used officially or operationally in the cockpit, uh, it makes it easier to, uh, get those sorts of approvals. Yeah, for sure. And I mean, the kind of just the, what I, how I look at ForeFlight, how I've seen it, because I started using it right after I got my private pilot license. So I used it very heavily in my IFR training. And just to see what it is now, like how it's grown, it's been unbelievable. Like now the way I look at it, ForeFlight is almost like a, your, your own FMS in your hand. You know, it's like your own FMS that uh, any kind of big jet has. It's like having a Garmin 5000, but in your, on your kneeboard. And it's, it's crazy how it's grown like that. Yeah, it's 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 just really really been remarkable. So yeah. um, there's there's a lot left to do um, capability wise. So um, it'll be exciting to see what uh, what comes. What's your kind of grand vision of for flight and what you would want it to be like in 20 years? If you could have everything go perfectly your way, what would you want for flight to be? I, yeah, I want it to be. I mean, I can I can boil it down to sort of a simple statement, which is. I want ForeFlight to be an essential application in the hands of uh, every pilot, crew member, and, and flight operations person. So, you know, we have a um, sort of a vision of uh, supporting um, customers beyond the pilot. Um, so people that support the pilot or come with the pilot. Mm-hmm. But I want ForeFlight to always be uh, an essential uh, aspect of um, the, the users that we support, right? And so... You know, if I look back, you know, 20 years from now and say, you know, ForeFlight is still an essential part of sort of every flight for our customers, um, we have stayed on target. Yeah. Definitely. Um, now, now, the capabilities and the things that we'll do will evolve. You know, some of that's driven by what new technology appears and, you know, what ideas we have. Um, but one thing that's been constant over the past decade is new technology continues to appear that we can leverage. Mm-hmm. Right. And so. Um, we will continue to do that because we have a, a really curious um, appetite for um, what's next. Uh, but that's really uh, the essence is I want ForeFlight to be an essential part of every pilot's everyday life. Cool. I like that. And I got about two more questions before I get in the rapid fire section. But what? So obviously I asked if you didn't go work for that one company down in South Carolina, would you have been able to become a pilot? But take it even farther if you want to become a pilot and if you didn't work for that company, do you think you would have even had the time to create ForeFlight? Oh gosh. You know, I, I think that, you know, it's sort of like the, the time machine uh, paradox, right? Which is you yeah. get back in time and you alter one thing and, you know, the, you alter, alter history. I mean, I, everything I would say lined up just, you know, just right for this to exist. Um, and, um, you know, I don't, 
I'm not sure if four flight would, would exist if I had been born five years earlier or later. Right. right? I mean, so, you know, being, you know, being born in the, I guess, you know, just dating myself in the, in the late, you know, late seventies and having grown up on an Apple IIe computer and following <laughs> programming at a, at a young age and, um, you know, having grown up in an entrepreneurial family and a creative family. Um, those are all things that, uh, just lined up perfectly for, for this to get created. And then that combined with you know, discovering aviation, um, you know, by sort of randomly being at a company that embraced aviation and used it, all that stuff contributed and had any, had any one of those things uh, turned out differently, uh, four fly may not exist. Right? I mean, yeah. had I, had I, had I not met my wife, you know, on the elevator of the, of, uh, <laughs> the dorm we were moving into on the first day that we got there, you know, she's been a big part of our success as well. And so that's amazing to adjust any one of those factors. And, um, you know, there would be an app probably, uh, it may not be us. Yeah. That's funny. It's funny that you talk about your wife because the only reason I started this podcast was because of my wife too, because I had so much off time when I was flying freight and I was just playing video games. She's like, you need to do something more productive. (laughs) It's like, start a podcast. I was like, Okay. <laughs> and here we are. So yeah, it's, uh, it's amazing having a, a great woman or a great supporter great back at home. Yeah. It's uh, they know more than we do. They're smarter than us. For sure. <laughs> well, cool. Well, my, one of my sure. last questions is, is so obviously you guys have changed a lot kind of, or you've made a lot of changes to the app. Is that mostly kind of homegrown changes? Is that stuff that you guys have always had an idea of, or is it kind of, you get customer feedback, but man, that's a really good idea. Let's try to incorporate that. It's a, it's a mix of everything. I mean, we, we certainly have a lot of organic idea generation that comes from the, the team, uh, mm-hmm. which, you know, spread out uh, across, you know, multiple continents and, and cities and exposed to different aspects of aviation. So there's just, there's way more idea production than we could ever build. Right. Um, so uh, that's, a, that's a mix. You know, I would say, you know, Jason and I, we, you know, we manufacture a lot of ideas, but the team just comes up with a tremendous number. And then, very close, um, you know, sort of constant interaction with customers, right? Because you need to, uh, I say this, you know, to our team is you need to be in the, in, in a place to follow the scent. Um, and you know, where you pick up on those scents are being with customers, right? Which is, uh, understanding sort of what their needs are and their, you know, their challenges and where they want to be, and then incorporating, um, sort of their ideas and vision into the product. And so in every, uh, one of our teams now there is very close connection to customers and there's a handful that they'll work with very closely to help shape any aspect of the product. But, um, ideas come from anywhere. Um, they come from our, you know, our sales team collaborating with engineers at our hack weeks, for example, <laughs> where, you know, different people in the organization have gotten together to try to solve uh, a problem or build software to support a use case. Yeah. Uh, so ideas come from anywhere. Yeah, for sure. And you never know who's going to give you the next million dollar idea, right? That's right. Yeah. I mean, and, and, and we've got plenty of those. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Which is good. That's a good problem to have. And I lied. I do have one more question. I think this is kind of interesting. It's, um, so obviously Fourfly has a lot of features like I've been talking about. What is there one that you thought was going to be more of a game changer than it actually was? Cause you know, when you create something, it's kind of like, Oh, this is my baby. This is my baby, but maybe it wasn't received as well. Was there one feature that you guys created that you thought was going to take off more than it did or necessarily didn't get as much attention as it should have? Hmm. There, uh, there are some, um, I would say it's probably easier to point to sort of the really transformative events that, um, has uh have happened and, and one of those is adsb yeah 
Um, that was something, honestly, we, we weren't the earliest in embracing that and boy, are we thankful we did. Mm-hmm. Um, and another one of those was, you know, geo-referenced approach in taxi plates, yeah. uh, taxi, taxi diamonds. We weren't, again, we weren't the first to do that. We're really glad we sort of embraced those things. Um, you know, we're fortunate to have been able to work on connected cockpit stuff with uh, partners like Garmin. Uh, so we've been uh, involved in those sorts of efforts over the years. Uh, but there have been some very key you know, events like that over time that, you know, had we not been uh, aggressive in uh, adopting and embracing, uh, we would have been in a um, uh, not in a first place position. Right. For sure. No, that's a good way to put it. All right. I have a rapid fire section for you. It's all aviation based and you just say the first thing that comes to your mind and they're not hard. It's very simple questions, but you just got to say it as fast as possible. And the first thing comes to your mind. You ready? Got it. All right. Let's see here. Let me get where I'm going. All right. What is your favorite airplane you've ever flown? The favorite airplane I've ever flown is a Citation Mustang. What's your dream airplane to fly? And let's do like a general aviation dream airplane. Uh, P-36 Lightning. What about a dream commercial? If you're a commercial airline pilot and you wanted to fly any pilot, what would it be? Or what, any plane, what would it be? Oh, probably a Dreamliner. Oh, good answer. Good answer. All right. What is uh, one of your favorite flights you've ever had? So like, let's say, what's your favorite airport you've ever landed at? Uh, Aspen. Least favorite airport? Hmm. Aspen. <laughs> <laughs> I 100% agree with everything you just said there. That's a good one. <laughs> All right. Um, so you are on an airline flight. You didn't get a chance to take the Mustang. So you got to fly commercial. You're connecting through whatever city. doesn't matter. You're really hungry. You need to get some food. What's your go-to airport food that you have that you always want to eat? Uh, hot dogs. Okay. There you go. All right. Here's one. What is your favorite four-flight feature? ADSB weather. What is something you wish you would have known before you became a pilot? that it's not as uh, easy as it's always made out to be. Uh, that's a good one. Uh, for training purposes, Cessna, Piper, or Diamond? Cessna. Would you rather fly long legs or a bunch of short legs? Short legs. Let's see. What's one of your favorite cities to have an overnight in? Portland, Maine. Ooh. All right. What's, uh, who in the industry would you like to meet most? Hmm. I'm trying to pick people that I haven't met. <laughs> <laughs> Or, or who is one of your uh, most influential mentors or anyone that you were able to meet? Bob Hoover. Oh, man, making me jealous. That's crazy. That's so cool. That's about it. Those are about all the ones I have, all the ones I wrote down. So you survived. Congratulations, Tyson. I appreciate you coming on the podcast. It's, uh, it's been a lot of fun talking with you and just having you on and hearing more about your story and who you are as a pilot and an aviator and talking a little about four flight. So I appreciate it. I appreciate it. Thanks for having me. Hey, take no, care. No problem. Have a good one. Bye-bye. Bye. And that is a wrap of episode number 71 of the Pilot the Pilot podcast. Aviation, do not forget you have the opportunity to win one of three gift cards from ForeFlight. Those gift cards can be added to an existing or a new ForeFlight account, so you do not want to miss out on this. All you have to do is comment on my latest post about this podcast. Let me know your favorite part of the podcast, and you are automatically entered to win one of three gift cards. Aviation, I don't want to keep any longer. I appreciate you listening to today's episode. And as always... Happy flying.